Hello and welcome to the Delta Good Review. I'm Bryn. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jason. And I am so glad to be back and hosting this episode to discuss Delta's fourth album, Child of the Universe. Anyone who knows me knows that I champion this album. But before we delve into discussion, let me summarize the background of the fourth album and some key stats. So Child of the Universe was Delta's long-awaited and much-anticipated fourth studio album. It was finally released in October 2012, and fans had waited five years for the new album after the 2007 release of Delta. The album was finally released in October 2012 and reached number two in the charts, becoming her first album not to hit the top spot. It also remains her lowest-selling studio album and is therefore criminally underrated. The album is in many ways Delta's big breakup album, with many tracks seemingly documenting the end of her relationship. The album is one of Delta's longest, with 17 tracks if you include the iTunes bonus tracks. And why wouldn't you? And it was also released as a deluxe edition with acoustic versions of many songs. How did you both feel about the album when it was released after such a long wait and your thoughts about where it stands in Delta's discography today? So for me, I would say this is vocally and lyrically her best album by far. And I think it is an album which for many of the hardcore Delta Goodrum fans that there is so many iconic tracks in there. And I think you're right, it's definitely disappointing that it didn't get the public recognition that it deserved. And I think in terms of her wider discography, there are so many on there that for many fans, they are songs which hold a special place for them. And I think the thing that most fans find quite disappointing is that it, because of the success of the album, it didn't get the tour, which meant certain songs on that album didn't get their moments to shine. I think that, if anything, is probably the bit that's disappointing is that they didn't get those moments. And I've been very grateful that in Bunker Downs and some of the live Instagrams that she's done over the years, she has played a few of these songs so they have had their moment to shine. Yeah, I agree as well. I think the ironic thing about this album is that it was the longest wait to get it and it was the shortest era we had. But I mean, honestly, I love the album. I say Innocent Eyes will always be my favourite just for the sort of history of that. But Charlie Universe is definitely the second favourite for me and it's, it's right there at the top as well. I mean, as you say, after the long wait, having 17 songs on it was an absolute treat. And they were all, I think, incredibly high quality. And I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I don't think there is a single bad song on this album. I have to play the album from start to finish. And I always look back at the year 2012 very fondly, obviously for the album. And also because it was the year that I graduated and lots of exciting things were happening in my life as well. So I always connect Child of the Universe, obviously, to the year 2012. So I always look back on that with great memories. Really interesting that you said that, Jason, because I totally connect to the idea of kind of 2012 being such an important year. It was at the year I graduated as well. But also, you know, I think for many fans, Child of the Universe might have been the first album that they listened to as an adult. Mm. So, you know, up until Delta, most of kind of the main fan base would have been kids or teenagers, I think. And I'm sure people correct me if I'm wrong. And so when Child of the Universe came around, we were adults. We were beginning to kind of move into adulthood ourselves. And so for me, it remains my favourite album because it kind of started to connect with me on a different level in a way that maybe I was probably too young to understand some of the experiences she sang about on the earlier albums. Whereas this one, I was going through a breakup, like it was her breakup album. And suddenly, you know, her music resonated with me in a way that it hadn't done before. But, you know, Delta had been talking about this album as early as 2010, it was seemingly pushed back time and time again. It was rumoured for release in 2011, and we even heard our first taste of the new music that same year with the release of I'm Not Ready with Michael Bolton in the US, although it wasn't clear at the time that this was going to be a song from the album. The years between Delta and Child of the Universe were quite difficult for us as fans, and I would call them the Delta drought. What are your memories of those years between those two albums, and how did you feel about I'm Not Ready when that was released in 2011? For UK fans, I think it was a very hard time because the Delta album hadn't been released and it had been a time where I think it's very different now where we've got those social media. So she's much more engaging with fans and so forth. But it was definitely a hard time because you didn't know what was going on with her music. And particularly for us, it felt very distant. But what I love is when she did come back with I'm Not Ready, I thought that was a real significant moment. And in some ways, a moment which I think wasn't capitalised enough. There was a real moment in the US for her where she did the song on Dance With The Stars and then she covered for Adele, you know, who was a huge album that year of herself and Delta stepped in. And I thought it would have been a great moment to 
have gone, oh, by the way, here's a new song of my own. So I think that was a, maybe a missed opportunity there. But I loved when she did the 60 Minutes and she talked about what she'd been doing. And I loved the fact that she basically was like, I went on a journey and I went and just explored the world. I wrote in different places. And I think in some ways she'd been so young when she'd started her career. She probably hadn't had a chance to have like the gap year or the traveling and all the things that you would have done in your sort of late teens, early 20s. And maybe that was just her time to kind of have her gap year, like kind of thing and just like travel the world and have fun. And, you know, and I think in some ways that was probably what she was. She did a lot of that. She did enjoy herself quite a lot and just saw lots of pictures of her away. And you know what? Fair play. Like, I think we all need those moments. To be honest, I don't remember the sort of specifics of the Delta drought. I do remember, obviously, just being on the forum a lot and just kind of seeing what the latest news was, whether anything was happening. But I actually remember 2010, 2011 were the years when I really started to just build up my collection. So while we were waiting for new music, I was just sort of collecting all the old singles and things like that. And then when I'm Not Ready came out, it was very soon after the breakup. I think it was literally a month after. So I don't think people were really expecting her to come out with anything. So it was quite a surprise. But I think I definitely prefer the solo version of I'm Not Ready. To be honest, I'm not a massive fan of Michael Bolton's voice in the first place. But I definitely prefer the stripped back just piano arrangement of the album version and it's such a beautiful song and her vocals on this song are stunning and I think it's one of my favorites on the album as well the solo one so the thing with I'm Not Ready for me at that point in time is it felt like a very clear echo of Adele someone like you in the sense that there was a really big powerful breakup anthem mm. and I still to this day believe it has the potential to be a song as big as that I think it's such a beautiful track and so as you said Jason I was really surprised when she came out with that in 2011 so recently after the breakup and as you said Kyle you know it's a shame it wasn't capitalized on because actually it's such a you know an anthemic song can I just ask a question though in that song is it a duet song though I don't think it is. I think it is a standalone me, my breakup song. And I think as great as Michael Bolton is, I don't think it did the song the justice it needed. Delta's Justice was when it was released on the album. It was just her. And yeah, I feel the song lost some of its sort of specialness because it was originally and is known as being a duet. I love that she had that moment with Michael Bolton and I love that she got to sing on Dancing with the Stars and replace Adele and all of those things. But I agree for me, the best version and kind of real version of the song is the solo version on the album. So the first official single for Child of the Universe was Sitting on Top of the World. Now, we first heard about this song in a news article, which I think, again, was in 2011, where we heard the title of the song. So we knew that it was in existence, but it was finally released in April 2012. The song was co-written and produced by John Shanks. But again, it was Delta's first lead single not to reach number one. But it has gone on to become a multi-platinum signature hit. Now, I love this song, and I'm really glad that it has gone on to become a song that Delta is really known for. But I've always felt that it doesn't quite capture Child of the Universe as an album. It's up-tempo and fun, whereas the album, for me, is on the whole darker and more emotive. How did you both feel about Sitting on Top of the World when it was released? And do you think it was a good single to relaunch Delta after her extended break? I will not have a bad word said about Sitting on Top of the World. End of. (laughs) It is one of my favourite Delta Goodrum songs. Bryn, I agree with some of the points you're making about where it fits within the rest of the album because there are other songs which are in the fun category that I kind of go, fun song doesn't really fit with the songs that come before and after. But for me, Sitting on Top of the World just showed that Delta can write great pop tracks and can be a great pop singer. And she even says some of her most successful songs are songs about happiness and up-tempo. So yeah, I agree with you. It's disappointing it didn't get to number one. The sales of that single have been successful and it has a very well-known, iconic Delta Goodrum song. It's quite a special song for me because it came out at a time when I, opposite to the rest of the album being break up, I just started a relationship. And so that song is always sort of wrapped around that time. So that's always quite a happy memory for me. So yeah, love sitting opposite of the world. It's just a great, great track. I love the video too. I think the video for it is beautiful with all the balloons and the people dancing. Yeah, I think it's a great, great track. 
Yeah, definitely. I love everything about Sitting on Top of the World as well. It's definitely one in my top five songs. It's just so much fun. It's full of happiness and joy. And I remember, as you mentioned before, we had heard the title for quite a while, but not heard the track. And then there was a clip put up on Amazon France or something. And I remember being on the forum with some European fans. And it was at a time when like all the Australians were asleep. So it felt like it was just us hearing this clip of the song for the first time. It was just so exciting. And yeah, because I think Delta had mentioned that she called this her sunshine song because she had written a lot of really intense songs for this album. And it was John Shanks's wife who said, oh, you're always so happy and bubbly. Why don't you write a sunshine song? So this was that one. Yeah. And as you said, Kyle, I love the video as well. It's really bright and colorful. I love the music video as well. I think it's, you know, it was such a kind of beautiful video, but also really, really fun. But in the song itself, I think for me, one of the highlights is that middle eight and the rising kind kind of note that she does at the end of that middle eight is I can't sing it but I try it every time it sounds horrendous she does a great job but it's a great moment I really really love it so I do love the song I'm just not convinced it kind of captures Child of the Universe as an album for me One of the lyrics that I think there was always confusion about was in the chorus when she sings, we've got a love like no one. And we're not sure if it's no one knows or no one else, because I think she probably sings different versions well, at different time points. I'd hope that the lyric book would be able to tell us this. I mean, she'd hope that she'd put the right lyrics in the book. I wouldn't trust the lyric book because I found mistakes in them in the past. We've got a love like no one else. I don't know which one I prefer either. I think they have different meanings. I think no one knows would be better. I was just going to say, you just said about her being away for so many years. I think she needed to come back with something with a bit of oomph and a bit of like, hey, guys, I'm back now. Like, And I think this was definitely the right track to come back with. I think the disappointment, again, is the gaps between. I think that's one of the things with this record about maybe why it wasn't as successful is because there was such big gaps. So you'd build up this momentum and then we'd have another long gap. But I'm guessing maybe the album wasn't ready when she did the first single. Obviously, there were two other singles before the album actually got released. So after releasing Sitting on Top of the World, Delta then released the up-tempo Dancing with a Broken Heart and then the emotive ballad Wish You Were Here, which was written in memory of her friend Liam, who sadly died. Dancing with a Broken Heart, however, is an interesting song in Delta's catalogue. Firstly, there were three versions of it by the time the album was released. The single version, the album version that had slightly different production and an acoustic ballad version. And it has since gone on to be covered by Steps, the UK pop group. At the time, I loved that this single was an up-tempo dance track, but I've since come to the opinion that, again, it wasn't really a great second single for Child of the Universe and doesn't represent the album at all. How did you feel about the song and have your feelings changed? I remember when we first had news about the song, I think it was when she did that 60 Minutes interview, she played a bit of it. I remember that really well, that interview. And I remember literally looping and listening to that bit. And I was so excited to hear that song. And I agree with you, Bryn. Like, I expected it to be a ballad like song. And it did surprise me that it came out as a kind of upbeat, up tempo track. Yeah, I think maybe we were expecting a piano ballad in that sense. But then because of the title and the lyrics has dancing in it might have been the reason why they went with the pop dance production. But I don't know if I have a particular preference for any of the versions. I think I go to different ones at different points. And even the Steps one, I'm a big Steps fan. So I love the fact that they covered it and I love listening to their version as well. I do have preferences with this. So I don't like the album version. I actually preferred the single version. If I'm looking at the, the two up tempo ones. That's where I've always gravitated to. But I think the acoustic version, just at the end, like you said, and I won't beg, and just everything about that ballad, especially as it gets towards the end, her vocals are just so beautiful. And it's like, I feel like you lose the meaning of that song in the pop tracks because lyrically yes it's talking about dancing and stuff but the lyrics in there are so powerful about this kind of empowerment and getting through a difficult time you know fight fire with fire and all these kind of really strong lyrics and i think the ballad really gives appreciation to the message in the song yeah i'm totally with you carl it's the ballad version for me you know we've lived with this song for almost 10 years now eight years and it's the ballad version that i go back to because as you say it kind of shines a light on those lyrics which are actually quite dark and i think really do shine a light on you know the experiences that delta went through in that period prior to releasing child of the universe 
For me, I still don't really understand why they went with a different version on the album and what it was that they were trying to achieve with that. But I think the thing that annoys me most of all, and maybe it's been fixed these days, was that the single version was so quiet. I don't know if either of you remember this. Yes. But when you downloaded the single version, you had to turn the volume like up three times as loud to even hear it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the other thing I find really confusing, and I think doesn't help with the success of this single, was you had an album version, a single version, but the promo version where Del was going out and promoting was the acoustic version. Mm. She was always doing it on a piano with just her and the piano. Maybe that's the version she really enjoyed, but it just, I don't know if that didn't help with the success of the single, because what were you hearing on the radio and what you were seeing in live performances didn't correlate. Yeah, and I might be totally off the mark here, and what I'm about to say might be totally wrong, but it feels almost like at that point she was being pulled in different directions, whether that was Sony the label versus her own vision for the album. Whereas you compare it to her music today, and there's so much conviction behind every release. When she releases a song, you know, Solid Gold, Paralyzed, you really understand what the vision was, and she follows through on that vision. Whereas Dancing with a Broken Heart, it felt like they were trying to appeal to absolutely everyone. They had a really dancey version as a single, they had an album version that was Settler, but then they had the acoustic version that she performed. And I think that, as you said, Cal, that lack of conviction might be one of the reasons it didn't perform as well as some of her other singles. But I do really like the video. I think it does tell the story of the song quite well with the different characters they have in it. So after releasing Dancing with a Broken Heart, Wish You Were Here did feel like a return to the classic Delta sound, particularly after the poppier sound of the first two singles. It reached number five on the charts. However, I feel that Wish You Were Here is a song that maybe over the years has been kind of forgotten by the fan base, by Delta Mm. a little bit. It isn't performed as much as some of her other tracks, even though it did quite well. For you, does Wish You Were Here stand out in Delta's single catalogue? Is it a song that you come back to time and time again? No, I'll be honest, it doesn't actually stand out in sort of the singles particularly. It's a lovely song. And if I like playing Delta songs and Wish We Here comes on, absolutely love it. And it's kind of a, on that kind of more soothing, but it is a little bit sometimes feels like it kind of can be background music. Love the song, beautiful lyrics. And I think it was a lovely thing that she did to sort of remember her friend. I thought the video for this song was lovely, really lovely video. And it obviously captured the story. But yeah, it's a good single, but I actually don't know if it would have been a single for me. I think there are other songs on this album where I would have said they should have been singles. I think the latter two singles were maybe not ones that I would have chosen. I was going to really disagree with you because I mean, I really loved the song, but maybe I hadn't thought about it as a single because I just really love listening to it. And to be fair, she has performed it a bit. You know, she did perform it at the Wings of the Wild tour where she didn't perform Dancing with a Broken Heart, for example. So she does definitely go back to it. And I remember the first time I heard it, I think it was a live performance she had done. And I remember watching it for the first time and it really hit me. And I actually had shivers just listening to it for the first time. And as you said, it was a sort of return to the classic Delta piano ballads. And you could see that with the single cover as well, because they used the original Delta Gudrun font, which had been absent since the Mistaken Identity era, which was interesting because they had this sort of shiny new Delta logo. So yeah. again, there was a bit of inconsistency with the era. I'm so glad you said that because it fits with what Brim was saying about this kind of conviction, about the commitment to kind of a direction. And I was just thinking about that with the artwork on the singles and the album. There was an inconsistency around the use of her name because in the first two singles, it was Delta and then the album is Delta Goodrum and then this single was Delta Goodrum so there was a lot of that inconsistency and I miss you in the earth's atmosphere I wish you were Now, as you will both know, after Wish You Were Here, Delta didn't release any more singles from this album. It's their first album where there were no singles released from it once the album itself had come out. Now, I find that so frustrating. I've already mentioned a couple of times that these songs, for me, as much as I love them, don't capture the brilliance of the album. I think on this album, Delta really shows how versatile she is as an artist. She masters a number of genres, but it's also one of her most personal albums with really honest and raw lyrics. And even recently, Delta herself has said, Touch should have been her single. And I have to agree. So I'm gonna give you a challenge. If you were to release Child of the Universe again, what singles would you choose to promote this album and why? Well, first of all, this just reminds me of basically what we used to do on the forums, wasn't it? Where we'd all basically plot and plan how Delta was going to promote her album. I think Touch absolutely should have been a single. And I think it was so fresh. And even today, I still think it's a song that she's very modern feel to it. The only other one I think could have been successful, particularly in the UK, I think was Hunter and the Wolves had a very Florence and Machine kind of feel, which was quite popular at the time. So I think that might have been another good choice for a single. 
for me, the songs that capture the album best are, as Cal says, Touch. I love that, you know, the song kind of captures Delta's spirit and her idea of sharing love, but also the sound of it is very Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. But there's another song on the album that I think was just destined to be a single, and that was The Speed of Life. It's a song that fans come back to all the time. I think the lyrics were incredibly honest and raw, and then the chorus was huge. And I would love to have seen that kind of being put out into the world a little bit more than it was really. Yeah, I absolutely love Speed of Life. It's such a great track. Now, the album is Delta's longest. So as we discuss the remaining tracks, I want us to try and play a game. For some of these songs, I'm going to ask you to try and sum up the song in just one word. And if you say something controversial, I'm going to ask you to expand on it. This will help us to move through the 17 tracks without taking all of our listeners' time. So we're going to begin with Child of the Universe. And I will go first just to set the tone. For me, Child of the Universe is just epic. That's my word. I was going to say that as well. I'm going to say theatrical. I can expand briefly. When I listen to that song with then the follow-up of Touch, I feel like I could put that into like a theatre production. I can imagine the ensemble of everybody on stage. And then at the end of the song, everyone walks away. And when Touch starts, it's like the introduction to the main character. Like that's how I've always visualised it in my head, that you could actually put this album to a kind of a theatre production if you wanted. I love that you said that because I did the same. I always imagined. Did you? (laughs) Yeah, I did. And I kind of had like almost a film plotted out in my head of how the story started with Child of the Universe and then expanded from there. So yeah, a very visual album. Mm. Jason, anything else to say on Child of the Universe before we continue with the one word challenge? Yeah, I think, as we all said on the Delta album, Delta has kind of made it a habit to have these sort of really grand opening tracks as well with this sort of string introduction, which I really like. And yeah, the lyrics on this song are great as well. For me, the most powerful lyric in that song and possibly one of my favourites in the album is the line, for everything my freedom's worth, I'm a child of the universe. And again, I keep saying, you know, that she releases albums at the right time in my life. And this song helped to remind me of the importance of owning your own freedom and being your own person. And I think the song captures that. We've talked about touch briefly already, but in a word, Kyle. Oh, impossible to do. I think it's just beautiful. I think it's such a beautiful song and it's very, um, can't do it in one word. Yeah, I can't think of a word, but the word sultry just popped into my head. I've never got sultry vibes from touch. I get more kind of empowered vibes rather than sultry, but I like it. Maybe sultry in an empowering way. A sultry and empowering beautiful way to combine all of our words. So the next song that we've not yet talked about in depth is Knocked Out. It was one of the last songs to be written for the album as it was influenced by Delta's time on The Voice and that kind of tumultuous first series where she faced a fair amount of backlash. Kyle, I've got a feeling that you've told us before that you're not a fan of Knocked Out. Am I right? I'm not a fan of Knocked Out. I don't feel like it fits in this album, like in terms of the songs in this album. And just something about those lyrics, I just don't connect with it. It seems like it's one of the later songs, given what it was about. It obviously is one of the later tracks that she put into the record. And I just don't feel like it fits with the album. I know you mentioned that with some of the pop tracks, but I feel like this song, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, I agree, actually. I do actually like the song and I do appreciate the sort of, again, it's quite an empowering song with the lyrics as well and kind of having that strength to get yourself back up. But yeah, like sonically, it doesn't really fit in the album either. And because it was the latest song, they wouldn't have had it in mind for the album. But I still enjoy it, actually. So the next song for us to talk about is Hunters and the Wolves. Delta described this as her being single song. Although that caused, I remember, mass confusion on the forum because we all thought that she meant that it was going to be the next single. But I think what she'd referred to was that it was her being single song. You mentioned it's a very Florence and the Machine song. Kyle, I agree. I love Hunters and the Wolves and it always makes me kind of, you know, want to get up and dance a little bit. What are your thoughts on that song, Jason? I feel like Hunters and the Wolves is a song that I never got quite as much as the rest of the fan base because I know it was a very popular one. But again, it's still one that I enjoy. And I think there's, I mean, there's this sort of tribal vibe going on and that sort of continued with Wings of the Wild as well. The verses kind of remind me of Jolene by Dolly Parton a bit, just a little bit. At least it doesn't remind you of Tesco or Rico. I can't see you hear the Jolene thing. But I think for me, I feel like Calls the Wolves is kind of, the word I always think of with that song is like nature. And I think it fits with actually the, we'll talk about it later, but it fits with the artwork of this kind of nature and stripped back kind of thing. So yeah, I've always thought it was a great song. And I love the kind of atmosphere that she creates through the instruments and the music. You get that kind of tribal noises and so forth in there. So I really just think as a song lyrically and musically, it's she's got a great energy to it. 
Yeah, it's very theatrical again as well, isn't it, Carl? Just like you mentioned with Child of the Universe. And for that reason, it kind of reminds me almost of Mistaken Identity as a song and a music video. It has that same kind of theatrical energy. Yeah. So I love that she brought that back on this album. Whereas, as you guys discussed in the Delta podcast, that album was very clean and very well produced. Whereas this album kind of let her kind of break free a little bit more, I think. Then on to the song Hypnotize, which we've not mentioned whatsoever yet. Is that because you find it a more forgetful track or have you been saving your praise for this song up till now? Cal, take it away. What are your thoughts? Do you know what? I always forget this song. And then as soon as I'm listening to the album and it comes on, I'm always up dancing to it. So I definitely it is a, I can't think of what the word would be to describe that, but it is a song that we should not be forgetting is probably the right way to describe it. Yeah, I definitely not forget this song. I love this song. It's again, it's a very fun song, as you said, sort of gets you up to dance. And it has that sort of 60s feel like you're at the beach surfing. It's a great song. When it gets to sort of this part of the album, I really like the songs that come to follow as well. Yeah, I love Hypnotize as well. And it's actually one of the songs where I think I prefer the acoustic version also. I love that on the acoustic version, it was slowed down. It was made more dramatic, but I love the lyrics as well. I think even though it's a really fun song, the lyrics talk again about taking control of your own freedom and happiness and running after the things that you love. Now, the next song that we're going to discuss, I'm not going to say too much about because I'm going to save it for the Goodrum and the Badrum section of the show. But we're going to move on to Safe to Believe, which was co-written with Nick Jonas. Any thoughts? Well, I think it gets a lot of bad press, this song. I think the word I'm going to use that I always think of with this song, it always reminds me of Mariah Carey. I think there's a particular reason why we all think of her when, with that song. I think the acoustic version is where the song gets its justice, I think, more. And I think Delta's vocals in that version are lovely. So I don't think it's as bad as people talk about. Yeah, I really like the song. And even though definitely some fans don't enjoy it, but I think it's a lovely, beautiful ballad. As you mentioned, Mariah Carey, that's definitely the vibe that she's going on with this song, with the sort of vocal gymnastics that she's doing. And I really like the choir that she's got. She mentioned she did these vocal arrangements, which are really nice. But I really like the performance she did actually on the mini tour, the Top of My World shows. I remember this one performance. It was on the night that she had burnt her legs. So she only sort of did half of the show. But I really love the performance she did of that one. And that was the one I always like to watch back. But just going back to the studio version, do we want to talk about the high note? I mean, as I've said, I'm going to say very little because I'm saving my comments for the good room and the bad room section. But one thing I would say about that high note and how it's it's actually to do with the production, because I think it sounds literally like she's singing and then they just lay it on this high note and then it carries on with the track. You can really tell it's like kind of placed in. Like it doesn't feel like it's organically part of the song. It feels like it has been layered on top. So I think that's something with the production end of the track. Yeah, I think it definitely needed to have been cleaned up a bit. Now, the next song we've talked about briefly, I just think it is such a special moment in her you know, back catalogue. And I was so, so happy when she performed it in the Bunker Downs early on. And it is Speed of Life. For me, this song just resonates on every level. Even today, those lyrics about being scared to death of the speed of life, not knowing when to go forward, you know, things holding you back and having to fight against them. It just it's such a powerful song that has really stood the test of time. Do you both feel it's as special as I do? The word I wrote down was gem. It is a gem of a song for Delta. And I agree with you. The lyrics just so resonate. And at different points when you feel like the lyrics are like, everybody else seems to know the direction. I'm frozen. Like we all have those moments where like everyone else seems to know what they're doing. And they seem to have like an idea of what life's meant to be about. And you're like going, oh my God, where's this year gone? Time has passed us. So yeah, I feel like everyone can connect to these lyrics. And I just think her vocals are beautiful in this song. Yeah, 100%. This was the song when I listened to the album for the first time. This was the song that spoke to me the most and hit me immediately. As you said, those lyrics are so... Like, when I first heard it, I thought, oh my God, this is exactly how I feel. But it's, as everyone has shown, it's such a universal theme and feeling that we have that she's managed to really capture in those lyrics. And the melody of the chorus is what I really love. So yeah, it's one of my favourites on the album. So I think the message there is, Delta, if you do listen to this episode, please sing the song more often because it's such a fan favourite and we would love to hear it more. Shaking, 
The next track, again, is a really kind of epic song. It's War on Love. For me, this song always sounds a little bit like a Kelly Clarkson song. It feels like it has that kind of pop rock feel that some Kelly Clarkson's music has. It isn't a song that I come back to personally that often. But when it comes on, you know, I do enjoy it. Jason, what do you think about War on Love? It's funny you said that because I got that sense of Kelly Clarkson as well. To be fair, because I think the chorus, the melody sounds quite similar to Behind These Hazel Eyes. So that's why I probably get that. But yeah, because the words I kind of had were, you know, strong, powerful. And because I think this album, again, is her, I mean, it's her breakup album, but it's her sort of being empowered. And that's the feeling I get from War and Love. I've never thought of the Kelly Clarkson connection before. And Behind These Hazel Eyes is probably my favourite Kelly Clarkson song. So I've never got that connection. I wrote down that I'm quite indifferent about this song. Like if it comes on, I listen to it. And it's not something I would skip it. But it's not one that I naturally go to in this particular era. Yeah, I feel like lyrically is really nice. I think it's the production side of it that I'm not much of a fan of. Next, we have the song I Lost All Love For You. Personally, I adore this song. I think from a lyrical point of view, I love how concrete it is. We talked about this, I think, back in the Paralyzed episode, where sometimes her lyrics are very, very specific. And with that comes a kind of sense of universality. But then I just love the production as well with the kind of blended guitar, acoustic guitar and piano and the way that builds throughout. And her vocals are astounding for me. So I Lost All Love For You is totally underrated, in my opinion. It's the iconic song of this album, I think. As you say, it's probably the most personal song on the record. You know exactly what she's talking about. But I feel like it's a weird thing because it's actually, I think in a lot of breakup songs, this isn't something which people talk about. People talk about the incident that led to the breakup, whereas this is the side of falling out of love with somebody. And actually, after everything had happened and after all of the drama and everything, and I had a moment of reflection, I realised I'd stopped loving you. I'd stopped caring for you anymore. And that's quite a powerful thing to be open and admit about. And I think it's also like also quite heartbreaking to hear this idea of how you've fallen out of love with somebody that you obviously were part of your life for such a long time. So I think lyrically it's beautiful and not something which is often done. But I think that's, again, Delta's ability to tell stories. She is a storyteller through her music and her ability to tell is just so powerful. And this is where it comes out really strong. Yeah, as you said, you know, she's very literal in the song. And I think it was quite a brave choice. Definitely some of these songs, she's very brave in sort of being very literal and specific in what she's saying. But I actually really like her vocals in this song because she has this sort of quite laid back, almost kind of apathetic at points, which kind of reflects, you know, the feeling of having literally no love for anyone. But then she sort of takes it up towards the end as well. The question I have about this song is the title, I Lost All Love For You. It's the number four, which must have some sort of significance but do we know what that is? A really interesting question and one I don't have the answer to. Unless it is just, you know, a stylistic thing. There was a period, wasn't there, when artists kind of used numbers. I don't know. I'd like to think there's more of a reason than that. I wonder. What does it say in the lyric book, I wonder? Does it actually do the number four or does it use the words? In the lyric book, it does actually use the number four. In the lyrics or just the title? No, in the lyrics. Oh, really? Mm. It must be significant. I wonder what it is. I love what you said, Kyle, about this song kind of being part of a narrative. And I think that's one of the reasons I love this album so much is that it tells the story of a breakup so honestly and all the different ways that you end relationships and the different kind of experiences you go through. So in I'm Not Ready, it talks about this idea that actually I'm always going to love you. I'll never be ready to leave you, but I need to. But then by the end of the album, she's saying, well, actually, no, I've lost all my love for you totally. And for me, it's kind of why I wish the song Leave You With Love might have made this album. I believe it was written for this album because I think it kind of finishes that story mm. in that actually what she's you know, able to say by the end is I don't need to hate you, but I can end this relationship and acknowledge that there was love, but that, you know, the love has gone now. But I was just thinking around this time, the year before you had Adele 21, and that album was all about the breakup happens. And that was basically an album of stages of grief. She goes through it. Whereas this album is actually about the period of the relationship coming to an end. And Mm. then you get to control where she's basing, I've left you. So it's interesting. She decided instead of focusing on the aftermath of the relationship, she focused on the point where the relationship wasn't working and then going through the process of ending and then being on her own at the end. So it's interesting. She focused on that period rather than this period of post-relationship breakup. That's such an interesting insight and not one I've ever really kind of concretely thought about. So, yeah, you're right. Most breakup songs are written about what happens after the breakup. But this album is all about the process of going through a breakup, preparing for a breakup, coming to terms with that decision. Yeah, really interesting.
So I Lost All Love For You then shifts into When My Stars Come Out, which is a totally different sound for the album. It's far more upbeat than anything that has come in the previous kind of few tracks. What are your thoughts, before I tell you mine, what are your thoughts on When My Stars Come Out? I said this to you all earlier on, listening to the album. Like, I do appreciate the fun songs because it takes you through this kind of emotional journey. Like, if you've just gone through the song of I Loved All Love For You, like, in reality, you're sat in your bed crying and, like, having a moment to yourself about that person. You kind of then want to shake yourself off and kind of have a bit of fun. And I feel like it feels like a quite a jarred feeling of moving to this kind of fun song. But in some ways, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a pick-yourself-up kind of moment. So I appreciate that that song is there. It's a fun song. I enjoy that song. It, again, is questionable whether it fits with the whole album but I kind of also think from a listener perspective there is a bit of an appreciation of having just gone through quite an intense few songs previously. Yeah I think when my stars come out it's not one of my favorites on the album but as you said no I appreciate the sort of meaning behind it and it does you know carry that message of the positivity that Delta has you know even when the sun goes down and things aren't working out she still has that strength within her to sort of get up again and yeah I mean the song has sort of a retro vibe again I think she mentioned that it was inspired by Elton John which I hadn't thought about before but it was just something I saw recently which would be interesting to see because obviously like in the new album she says she's had a lot of Elton inspiration yeah I totally agree with the lyrics I think you know it kind of builds on the theme of empowerment that runs the whole way through the album but in many ways in my mind it's the one day of this album it kind of has the same kind of role in that it's kind of a sonic shift it doesn't quite fit but it's kind of an up-tempo song towards the end but doesn't finish the album so maybe it's just me but one day and when my stars come out I've always seemed like twins in my mind and I've always I mean, kind of put them that's side a by pretty side brutal thing to say about a song is that, oh I compare this to one day like that's a pretty brutal thing to say so yeah I quite like one day so there's oh. the anomaly well maybe the one day we did find that some would actually like that song and this brings us then to the last song on the standard album so let's ignore the itunes bonus tracks for a second we will come on to them because they're brilliant but control finishes the standard album here and i'm going to make the case that control is the best album closing song that delta has to her name it's the strongest most defiant end to any of the albums i absolutely adore the lyrics i think it's the most empowering song she's ever written i love the move from the low range to the high range and it's a song that no matter who i play it to delta fan or not people tend to kind of stop pause and be kind of wowed by this song so there i've said it i think it is the best end to a delta album You've just made me think about something, though, and actually I just very quickly whizzed through the ending tracks in every one of those albums. And actually Delta does try to create a slight shift in the feel. So you've gone through all this stuff, and I feel like the last song on the album, she wants that to be a special moment to sort of say it's ending. So I never thought about the fact that actually the last song is quite an important one, that it's sort of symbolic to end that era. But I agree with you, a really strong song. There's a lyric in that song which absolutely stands out for me, which is, may I remind you who I was before you. Just every time, it's just a literally like two fingers up to that person to go, I was somebody before you and I still am somebody. Like, and I don't need you in my life. Like the empowerment of that song is brilliant. Yeah, this one I think is the kind of more rocky song. And I think Delta's rock side is that kind of hidden side that I would love to see more of in her music. Yeah, I love Control as well. I don't know whether it would beat Will You Fall for me as my favourite closer, just again, because I have so much sort of love for Innocent Eyes. But anyway, Control's great closing track in any case. And as you both mentioned, you know, the word I had was empowerment again, both in the lyrics and the vocals. She's very controlled. Well, she's controlled all the time, but especially with the octave shifts that she has, which can be quite jarring. But then again, it really captures your attention. And again, it's an interesting production, which makes it slightly different to most of her songs but yeah again i love it so we must now talk about the itunes bonus tracks alcohol and no communication and i think for many fans these songs have become real real favorites i was again really pleased that the bunker downs saw both of these songs be performed in particular you know, no communication is just a big favourite of mine. Do you both agree that these songs should have been bonus tracks or do you think they should have been part of the main album? And if so, which songs would you have them replace? Absolutely should have been in the album. For me, alcohol is the standout of the two. and I would definitely replace that with Knocked Out. And I think it's a song which would actually put it as an earlier song in the album because actually it carries on with that story about the journey through a breakup. 
And No Communication, I think, is a great song. And it really reminds me of a song which Delta wrote, but didn't end up being a song that she did herself, which was Eyes on Me, Celine Dion. But I always felt that the introduction of that song and Eyes on Me, they sound quite similar. So I always feel like it's got that same kind of feel to them. And I think, yeah, lyrically, it's a great song and vocally as well. I would say that I think these songs belong as bonus tracks and not because they're less worthy than any of the other songs on the album. But I just think with the story she's telling, I think alcohol and no communication, the role they play are filled by a few of the other songs. So I think maybe that's why they're put on as bonuses and because it is her longest album and I don't think she could have made it much longer. So, But I do enjoy the bonus tracks, but probably not as much as you do. I appreciate the rockier vibe of alcohol and this is another sort of angry song that she's doing. I know the communication again it's an interesting one especially with the intro i always felt it definitely catches your attention but it's a strange intro but i still love the song you see i'm with kyle that both these songs deserve a place on the main track listing i go back to our you know conversation about the narrative of the album and you know i think kyle's really hit the nail on the head about this being an album about what happens before a breakup the journey to a breakup I think both of these songs are integral to that. And so iTunes, bonus tracks, be damned. You know, these are integral to Child of the Universe, in my humble opinion. Now, Child of the Universe was Delta's first album where she co-wrote every single song on the track listing. And it also saw the return of her longtime collaborator, Vince, who hadn't contributed to 2007's Delta. The incredible Gary Clark is also one of Delta's main collaborators across the album. And we were so, so fortunate that Gary Clark spoke to us back in the summer about his work with Delta on this album. And we are going to share that interview with you now. We really hope you enjoy hearing his insights into this record. So firstly, just a big thanks for contributing to our Delta Good Review podcast this afternoon, Gary. In this podcast, we've been delving into Delta's songs and albums, and we really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Your work with Delta on her fourth album, Child of the Universe, which was released in 2012, is regarded by many fans as some of her best. You co-wrote or produced 10 tracks across the album, including fan favourites such as Touch, Speed of Life and Wish You Were Here, which reached number five on the ARIA charts when released as a single. You also worked with Delta on one of my all-time favourite songs, No Communication, which I hope to hear a little bit more about later on. Outside of your work with Delta, you've had an amazing career working with artists such as Natalie Imbruglia, Melanie C, Demi Lovato, and recently working as the executive music producer for the amazing Modern Love, which I adored when I watched that last year. So to start, Gary, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about your own journey in the music industry and how and when you and Delta first came to work together. Well, it's quite a distance between when I started and when we came together. (laughs) I'll keep it as brief as possible. I was originally a recording artist myself, and I had a band called Danny Wilson. This is probably the late 1980s. Right. We were all from Scotland, three of us, and we put out two albums, and we had a couple of hit songs. One in particular, Mary's Prayer, is still kind of gets played a lot. But we split up, even though we're all best friends, and one of the guys was my brother. I think the pressure of us just all being together every single day and touring and promotion and stuff, like, just wore us all down. And so we broke up. And I continued as a recording artist for a while. I did one solo album, a couple of band albums. But as that was happening, more and more artists started to come to me and ask if I would contribute to their records as a writer and then subsequently as a producer. And the first, I would say, big record that I was fortunate enough to work on was Natalie Imbruglia's second album, The White. Actually, I did contribute a mix to the first album. That's how I met that team. And then I ended up subsequently doing The White Lily's Island album. And similar to Delta's Child of the Universe album, there were a lot of other contributors, but I ended up doing the bulk of that record. And that was really mm. what kicked off my career as a writer-producer for other people. And that took over from my artist side. And I was always really, to be honest, more comfortable in the studio than I was on a stage. So it suited me perfectly. I got to spend all my days in studios and working with great artists, which is, you know, and Delta's a truly great artist. I met Delta quite a few years after, you know, I'd been doing that. And we had a mutual acquaintance or friend. At the time, he was a music publisher. He now manages producers and stuff, but he was a music publisher called Peter Cockyard. He was very good friends with the head of Delta's record label. And the two of those guys together came up with this idea of 
we call it a writing camp, but it's right. not, not in a tent, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's in a lovely big Balinese house in Bali, in a couple of houses, actually, because there was a lot of people. There's invite only, and that was where I met, I met Delta on the first night of that, and she was still with Brian McFadden at the time, Brian was on that as well, and the first day we were put together, and we wrote a song called Alcohol. Okay, um, yeah, love that song. And then the way these camps work is you get put with different people every single day. So I didn't actually work with Brian until the very last day, and we wrote a real lovely song. But I didn't work with Delta again on that camp. However, at that time, I was living in LA, Studio City, not far from where Delta had just bought a house. And so she said, oh, when you get back to LA, I'd love to write with you again. So I went over to Delta's, and she hadn't long moved in, actually, this beautiful, beautiful house with a white grand piano in the middle of the floor. And we wrote, in the first few sessions between Delta's house and my house, we wrote definitely touch, control, no communication, and possibly speed of life in those early sessions as well. So we really hit it off very early on, found that we worked really well together. So that's what kicked off me being very involved in that album. Amazing. And that's an incredible kind of set of songs to have written together quite early on in your kind of creative partnership. How would you describe then the process of making music with Delta? How does she differ as a songwriter, as an artist, to maybe some others that you've worked with? And what does that process look like? Well, Del is the full package in the sense that she's an amazing musician and a really gifted songwriter. Technically, she's been writing songs for a long time with a lot of great people. And she's, you know, mm. she's intelligent, so she picks up, you know, the craft. So by the time I met her, she was already a very, very great, accomplished songwriter. So you have that, but you have that amazing voice in the room. So you can tell instantly whether it's going to work or not. Mm. And then I think the third magic ingredient is that lyrically she tells her truth. Mm-hmm. And you can't really ask for more than that. That's like, for me, that is A-list from an artist and as a writer-producer with an artist. You really have all the tools at your disposal. It's really a matter of what you two create together after that, you know. And then mm-hmm. some of that's driven by conversations over cups of tea, over things that she'd like to achieve. And over the journey of an album, that might even fluctuate a bit. But honestly, I cannot stress enough that working with Delta, for me anyway, was A, a gift, and B, I found it very easy, fun, really creative, and we work quickly and intuitively together. I think we've got similar tastes and a similar end goal. Mm. I mean, what you're describing there as fans, we've kind of always known that, you know, she has this incredible artistry that sometimes we become frustrated that the rest of the world kind of hasn't woken up to sometimes. And definitely we feel that her success should be greater than it already is. And so it's lovely to hear that you felt that as well, working with her. And of those sessions and those songs that you wrote, is there a personal favourite for you? And that song, how did that come to exist? Is there a story behind it that you can share with us? I'm going to say two touch because I think it kind of was an early touchstone sorry for the um, <laughs> um but for the direction of the album like I felt like when we wrote that song we'd found something and I actually feel that that song wasn't really given the single chance that it should have been given I think I, yeah, I agree. feel that that direction that preempted bands like Haim and things mm. I think quite quickly after that were doing something very similar but nobody was doing that at that time you know it was mm. I mean it was based in history but pointing forwards and So I love that song and I felt it was a breakthrough for Delta and I. Mm. And then a very moving memory and story is really Wish You Were Here because, I mean, that was a privilege and I get quite emotional talking about it. But Delta had lost a friend in a motorcycle accident a couple of years before, a guy called Liam, who I never met. And she came, we were working in my house that day and I lived in a kind of open plan lounge kitchen and the kitchen was up a couple of stairs and my upright piano was down against the wall. And Delta said when she came in, it's Liam's birthday and I'd really need to write a song for him today. I said, I think we're going to need tea or strong coffee. Mm -hmm. And I went up to make some tea and she sat at the upright piano and started to play the da-da-da-da-da figure. Mm. But very quickly, she started to sing sounds that were pretty much what became the verse. Mm-hmm. And I literally had to stop and come down and sat on the stairs. And when she got to where the chorus would land, I said, I hear where this should go. It should go, what key are you in? And I jumped on the piano and then did the today would be a birthday kind of section. Mm-hmm. So musically, the song was written Honestly, I was still making the tea. So it was the music we came together in an instant, like probably 
took us five minutes, 10 minutes max to kind of map out the whole thing musically. And then we sat down with the tea that was still warm and dug into the lyric, which obviously was a very emotional subject and just a beautiful memory, a beautiful day. And I think a beautiful song, you know. Yeah, it's an incredibly special song. And I think that story kind of adds to the mythology of it, really. So thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. I just want to go back a step to Tetch. One of the influences I hear on that is, you know, a bit of Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks. Was that kind of deliberate when making Tetch or did it just kind of end up having a bit of a nostalgic kind of sound to it? No, that was very much... I think I'd been listening to Rumours again. Every five or so years, I go back to that record. And mm. Lindsay Buckingham's work on it as a producer and as a guitar player and stuff was exquisite. And so as a producer, it's always been a record that influenced me. But for whatever reason, I'd gone back to listening to that again. And I wanted to kind of modernise that sound. That's what mm. I felt like. And without obviously ripping anything off. there was No, no of course, yeah. I just felt that it was, it felt timely to kind of, to work in that area and reinvent. And I also felt that it was a great vehicle for a great female voice, which of mm. course Delta is a great female voice. So yeah. that was kind of my thought process. I mean, I think musically I kind of came up with a sort of vibe for that. It was mm-hmm. probably on guitar rather than the piano. It has a great energy and particularly when she performs it live and she strips kind of it back to just the guitar often, it kind of comes alive as a track in a really special way. Yeah, that's one of my favourites for sure. It's got a great message as well. It's a very positive message, that song. Yeah, it is. You know, the imagery in it, the butterfly moving its wings. I've actually been thinking of getting a tattoo recently and I'm thinking of basing it around that imagery, the idea of, you know, extending your tension, the impact that rolls out from every action that we take. Well, that's definitely a Delta line. I remember her coming up with that and you go, yes, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, very Delta with the butterflies. Yeah. Selfishly, one of the other tracks I'd love to hear a little bit about because it is such a favourite of mine and you produced it as well, I believe, is No Communication. And what I find really interesting about that song is sonically, it's very, very different to lots of the other songs that she's released. It opens with a kind of tribal beat and kind of some animalistic sounds in there as well. And I would just love to hear a little bit more about how that song came to exist and how and why it kind of sounds the way it does. Well, actually, that's not my production. Oh, okay. Wikipedia's lied to me there. As far as I remember, that was reproduced towards the very end of the album by Chris Braid. Right. But the original demo did actually have the tribal drums on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to remember now because I won't have heard the demo for a, you know, a very long time. But that was one of the earlier songs and it's very much about the breakdown of her relationship. And the album has basically it spanned the breakup between her and Brian. Mm-hmm. And when we met, they were together. And by the end of the album, they were no longer together. And it brought a lot of extraneous well, not only emotional stuff that came into the lyrics, but we were also dealing with things like paparazzi because mm-hmm. every day Delta would have to drive over to my house for recording sessions and stuff and writing sessions and she'd be followed by, she'd be practically chased there. And we came up with a routine. My house at the time, and I now live back in Scotland, but my house was on Woodhill Canyon Road and it's quite a well-known, it was built in the 50s by a, quite a well-known architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, underneath, the house is kind of suspended in the air. It's hard to explain. It's a John Lautner house. You can look it up on Woodhill Canyon Road, or the Tyler house. And right. you park under the house, but you can see where the cars are. And we kind of worked out this routine in the morning where my wife, Alison, would knew when Delta was leaving, she'd say, I'm leaving now because we knew she had a 10-minute drive. And my wife would pull the car out and sit waiting in the car. And then Delta would immediately, followed by the paparazzi, <laughs> Delta would immediately come up the drive, park under the house, and then my wife would pull her car in front of it so the paparazzi couldn't take any pictures. And you entered the house around the back of the house so she could then just walk up the back stairs into the house. So there was a lot of extraneous, you know, it was a stressful time for Delta, I think, but it was also in many ways a rebirth time. Mm. And so all of that, I think, is in those lyrics and the journeys kind of mapped out through a lot of the songs, I think. Yeah, you can definitely hear that. I think the album tells a really strong story. And I think... You asked about no communication. I didn't mean to interrupt. Just to say no communication was at that point when they weren't communicating very well. Right. Amazing. Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, the story that the album tells is incredibly powerful. And I think of all her albums, it's the one that I've connected with most just because of its kind of emotional weight. You can feel that every song does feel incredibly honest. It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, how she was bringing that emotion to you, really, and how that impacted on the story she was telling. 
Yeah, I feel very privileged. And it was a, I mean, it sounds like it was a tough time, but it was also a very beautiful time and we had a lot of fun as well. You know, it wasn't all tears. It was Amazing. And often, you know, the best art is created from those tough times. Definitely. Just kind of as an aside, really, and from a no, being quite nosy, were there any songs that you wrote with Delta that never made the album that you wish had? Songs that you wish that people had gotten a chance to hear? I mean, in any album project that you're, as a writer-producer, involved in the long-term process, there's always stuff that hits the cutting room floor. Mm. It's a process as much of elimination as it is creation, making an album. You know, you're mm-hmm. kind of honing it as you go. And so sometimes songs that are really wonderful as songs, as the album finds its feet and finds its sound, they just don't feel like they fit anymore, you know? Right. So I think there was probably, and fans will be trying to find them, I don't think they're available, but certainly, you know, some of them haven't left my computer. But I reckon there's the iRoll, so there's maybe other ones, mm-hmm. but I reckon another 10 songs really yeah but that's quite common you know as i say it's a process of refinement and elimination making an album Mm, fascinating and have you worked with delta since the sessions for that album are there plans to We've talked about it so much, but what happened was she went into promotion of the album mm-hmm. mode, really, which you have to do as an artist, touring and radio interviews and all that stuff. And while she was gone, I had two things in my life that were going on. My landlord basically said I had to move house. And then basically he wanted to move back into the house we were living in and I had to move. And then my father got really ill in Scotland. And my wife's also Scottish and we kind of had a big, I think we moved once and then, but that was still terrible of the universe time but we basically made a decision to move back to Scotland and so Delta and I have communicated a number of times about trying to you know get together to work and we're just both living in different places now it's been so mm. difficult it's a tough one but I hope that at some point it will happen again and there's certainly the will is there on both sides so. yeah well I very much hope it happens one day as I, you know, I've said a couple of times they're definitely my favourite songs that she's done and so I'd love to hear what you two could do you know with new stories to tell yeah I'm sure there's plenty of new stories to tell yeah. <laughs> I just saw the clip the other day. I was unaware that Delta had had the problems with her tongue and stuff after her operation. Yeah. Very moving. Breathtaking clip to watch, wasn't it? I really struggled, actually. And again, you know, it's those stories that you don't realise, the things that people are going through. I know. I thought it was very brave of her to put it out to the world, but I do think it's very Delta in the sense that I think it will touch a lot of people and help a lot of people. Definitely. She's very much a beacon of strength and always has been, I think. Well, that brings us to the end of the formal questions that I had this afternoon. Really, really insightful points that you've made there. And it's really great to hear kind of how you worked with Delta. And I know that fans will really appreciate to listen to that. So I guess all that's left for me to say, Gary, is just a massive thank you for your time. And that, as I said, I really do hope that you and Delta get a chance to work together again in the future. And yeah, just a massive thank you, really. Thank you. I appreciate it, Brian. It's nice to remember great experience in making that right. Thank you very much. So just another massive thank you to Gary for giving us the opportunity to talk to him in the summer about this album. Now, Kyle and Jason, before we finish and talk about our Goodrum and Badrum, I just want us to think about the album cover. Do you think that the album cover with Delta in that beautiful gold dress in the desert at the piano represents this album well? I feel like it represents a couple of the songs and I think it represents where I think the album was at one stage which was this idea that the album was stripped back I think mean, if you listen to what she was talking about in sort of the 2010-2011 period it was this kind of very raw kind of in stripped back album and I think that captures it there it doesn't necessarily capture all of the album particularly with some of the more upbeat tracks yeah, I think I definitely get a sort of earthy vibe and with the other artwork within the booklet. And yeah, it definitely does capture, as you mentioned, Kyle, I think, you know, the sort of child of the universe touch, Hunters and the Wolves. I was going to mention this before, actually, because I think she said she was always fascinated by physics and the universe and everything. And that sort of theme is present in, in a few of the songs, especially when she talks about things like child of the universe and the stars and things. And in Wish You Were Here, she talks about the Earth's atmosphere. So I think that sort of fits with that vibe. There's obviously as well a symmetry in the artwork as well. There's a lot of the same photos flipped facing another way. So there's something to do with, maybe that again is the physics thing, I'm not sure. But there was a lot of kind of repetitive photos with her facing a different point. I don't know what the meaning behind that was though. Yeah, interesting. So it's almost like there's mirror images of her, like she's looking into herself perhaps and trying to discover who she is. And maybe for me, that's why the album cover works so well, because actually for me, it captures that line you mentioned from Control, Kyle. But may I remind you who I was before you? And this sense, this album cover, she kind of reaffirms that I am this absolute queen. I am free. I am at the piano. I look amazing. I'm going to sing better than, you know, any other pop star in the world. And that's what the album cover gives me. 
it gives me confidence it gives me conviction it's like i know who i am as an artist and that's why for me it kind of stands out in the collection it's quite surprising actually given the importance of the piano this is the only album where in the front cover the piano is present it's quite surprising actually it's not been there in i can't even think of a single where it's been present in the cover it's on only santa knows ah yes sorry and the christmas ep so maybe there's a christmas thing but yeah no i was going to mention the piano as well i love the fact that she did include the piano as well but I think a lot of people weren't so happy with the fact they just had the white block at the bottom, which said Delta Goodrum Child of the Universe. Yeah, I didn't mind it until I saw someone kind of online make an edit of it where they got rid of the white block and it did look better, I have to say, without it. But at the time, I didn't mind the white block. What I did mind was that it was a weird shape. The album cover wasn't your normal album cover shape. So when you imported it into iTunes, it didn't fit the square. I don't know if I'm talking sense there, but that just annoyed me. Yeah, and also on the iTunes one, they left a bit of like black on the left side, which they didn't airbrush out, which was a bit lazy. But anyway, Sony Music can't get the stuff. Very well, we're the most pedantic Delta Goodrum fans. <laughs> so I think, gentlemen, that it is the time for us to talk about our Goodrum and our Badrum. So, Jason, I'm going to come to you first of all. From this album, what is your Goodrum and why? I'm really struggling because there are a few that I want to pick and I feel bad for leaving any hours. So I think this is probably a less interesting choice, but the one I probably go to the most would be sitting on top of the world. Oh, you're shaking your head at me. But as you mentioned before, maybe not in terms of representing the album, but it's still, I think, the song that I love to listen to. And I love it when she performs it live, you know, because she said she opens a lot of her shows with it. And again, it brings me back to when she came over to London and she did the couple of shows she opened that we're sitting on top of the world and obviously it was the first one that we had heard her perform in person live so it has that memory to me but yeah just so uplifting fun and that would be my good dream but okay but if I'm gonna pick a second one for the album it'll be Speed of Life because yeah I mean I've talked about it before just perfect lyrics and just captures you know the feelings of how fast life goes because it really does go by before you know I mean it's already been eight years since the album can you believe that's the speed of life Absolutely, I love that pun. Certainly is the speed of life. Kyle, what's your good room? I'm afraid Bryn's going to have another funny face pulling because sitting on top of the world for me, and it is because of the timing. As I said, that song came out at a particular point when I was in a relationship and I'm still in that relationship with that person. For me and him, when that song comes on, it's the one time he actually will sing and blare out a Delta Kudrum song with me like because it's kind of become like a special song for us. So it is personally quite a special thing. It's such a fun song, but I am going to pick a second one because I think this is up there with, I think, Mistaken Identity in terms of an album where just the collection of songs is just epic. And for me, it has to be I Lost All Love For You. It's just so beautiful. And, you know, when I've been through other breakups like that song you can relate to when you're thinking about previous relationships and when it's broken down but yeah just such a great song so yeah it's my kind of cheat a second goodrum song i love that we've now introduced having a second goodrum song as like a standard thing for me it's a massive fight between touch and speed of life but it has to be speed of life that's my goodrum it's you know the one song that will probably stay with me forever that i'll always keep coming back to now, the best part of every podcast episode, The Badroom, let's hope they're controversial and juicy. Jason, you're up first. What is your Badroom? It's probably not controversial or juicy. I alluded to it earlier. So when my stars come out, because I think towards the end of the album, I think it's the one song that sticks out because I think I Lost All Love For You and Control are such amazing songs. And having When My Stars Come Out plonked in between them kind of just disturbs that vibe a little bit for me. I mean, it's a fun song. I enjoy to listen to it. But on the album, it's probably my least favorite. So that's the bad room. My one won't be a surprise because I've already sort of talked about it earlier on. So Knocked Out is the Badroom. I think the difficult thing is it comes after like Touch and Wish You Were Here. Like, And I feel like maybe it's because it's come after really great strong tracks that I just underrate it. And then it following next to it is Sitting on Top of the World. Like maybe I'm just so excited to move on to that song. That's why I don't. But it doesn't feel like it fits. Like I said earlier on, I think it was written later on. And maybe that's why it doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of the story. I can't feel how it connects with some of the other stories in the album. So yeah, it's my Badroom is Knocked Out. Interesting. Now I've held back on mine. So I'm saying this as someone who loves the acoustic version. I've loved it when it's performed live, but my bedroom is absolutely safe to believe. And maybe it's the production, maybe it's the production choices, but I cannot listen to that song on the album. I find it actually, you know, I just can't listen to it. I don't like it at all. But the acoustic version I do love. So it's not a problem with the lyrics and I'm not sure it can be a problem with the melody. So it must be the production. But for me, it just doesn't work at all. 
So the only thing left for us is our three trivia questions. You'll have to remind me who's currently in the lead, who's winning the competition so far. I haven't got a clue. No idea. Well, let's see who wins today. I'll try and make these questions as tricky as possible, but I'm sure you will both do really well. So question one, we know that Delta re-recorded lots of the album for an acoustic deluxe version, but which songs from the main album were not included on the acoustic deluxe version? And I'm not including the bonus tracks here. So which songs were not re-recorded for the acoustic deluxe version? Should I just jump in? Because it was always the songs towards the end of the album. So Control, Control. When My Stars Come Out, I Lost All Love For You, War On Love. No, she did no, do no, War On Love. War on love no. was on there. There is one more. Oh, I'm not ready. Yeah. Jason Canva. There's your four. Second question. Finish the following lyric. We always have a lyric question. My heart is calling out, lets me know. Finish the line. My heart is calling out, lets me know. Lets me know I'm still alive. Well done. There's your point. It's war and love, isn't it? It is indeed. I would never have got that. I can remember hearing it. It's just, yeah, it's in the second verse, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My heart is calling out. Let's know that I am still alive. So third question then. So you're a point each at this point in time. Now, we've said that this album saw the return of Vince. He wasn't present on Delta as a collaborator. Can you name the six songs co-written with Vince on this album? I'll take a guess. Speed no, of life. Guess. Oh, no. Okay, I know one is I'm not ready. There's one. Dance with the record. Yeah. Ooh. He wrote Hypnotize. And yeah. he, wrote, and he, wrote, he wrote Safe Plea Safe. with Nick Jonas. Did he... he didn't write Charlie Does. He didn't write Touch. He wrote Knocked Out, I think, didn't he? Five. Yeah. One last one. You've mentioned that you really enjoy this song, Kyle. I lost all love for you. No. He didn't write alcohol, did he? No, that was Gary Clark. Very Florence. Oh, you write Hunters and the Wolves. Do you know he what? Is the, on Hunters and the Wolves. I've said it before. Like Delta's darker songs are generally with him. There must be something about that relationship that they write such dark songs together. It's very interesting that collaboration. That that's the type of music they write. Well, well done. I think that point goes to you, Kyle. But maybe it's Jason. I don't know. I've lost track. You both did really well. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to another Delta Good Review episode. We hope you have enjoyed. And another thank you to Gary Clark for his time in helping us with our interview about Child of the Universe. If you haven't listened to Child of the Universe in a while, please go and do so today. It remains, in my opinion, Delta's best album. And I hope you do agree. Next time, we will be talking about Delta's fifth album, Wings of the Wild, which we are excited to discuss already. But from me, Bryn. And me, Kyle. And me, Jason. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.